Good to see you this morning. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the incredible privilege to pastor this church. And if you're visiting with us, I want to give just a couple of quick announcements before we jump into the Word today. Uh, first of all, whether you are with us for the first time in, pre- in person or online, we really want to do our best to connect with you. And so when you walked in, again, you were given a connection card, but there's also a way that you can text to connect. And so uh, that'll be coming up on the screen. What you can do is you can text VICTORY18 to 31996. So we're also saying that to all of our friends and family that are watching online. You can text VICTORY18 to the number 31996, and it'll send you a digital connection card. And whether you have the actual connection card or the digital one, we're going to ask you to fill that out. There's some really cool opportunities on there for you to mark some boxes if you're interested in the dream team or, or maybe you're uh, interested in more information about salvation, whatever it might be, mark those. And then what we want to do is we want to reach out to you this week and just make a connection, say, hey, thank you so much for spending your Sunday with us. And then, of course, uh, after service, if you're here in person, you can take that card or evidence that you made that text to our Welcome Center, and we have a special gift we want to give you. And it's just our way of saying, hey, thank you. We understand that you could be doing a lot of, a lot of different things uh, this Sunday morning, including it's the kickoff of what? Anybody know? A football kickoff of the NFL season, so we know you can be at home lazy getting ready for that, and so we just want to enjoy or want to appreciate you for coming and spending Sunday with us. So do us a favor, turn those connection cards in so that we can reach out and make a connection with you. Also, if you're looking for a way to give, we give three ways here, online, through our app and website. You also can text to give as well, same as text to connect. Or as if you're here in person, as you're leaving today, there'll be an auditorium host in the back with a Victory Church bucket that you're able to give that way. Uh, I always try to take a moment and focus on some of the things that we're doing financially in the community. And I I shared last week, and I want to share again, next week, Isaiah 117 will be in the house. And so they are represent, they're a foster care ministry that uh, is, I can't even say respite care. They they deal with the kids as they're trying to find a permanent place and so on. So it's just an incredible ministry. They'll share a little bit about what they do, but we've recently partnered with them. And one of the needs that they have is that when a kid uh, arrives at, at the Isaiah house, a lot of times they arrive hungry. And so what will end up happening is the employee will end up taking them to McDonald's or Taco Bell or whatever it is and paying out of their pocket. And so one of the blessings for them is to get those little gift cards to some of those little fast food places so they can use that instead of their own money. So because of your faithfulness, next Sunday, we'll bless them already with a bunch of gift cards. But I had a couple of people say, hey, we want to give more. So we've put a basket out in the lobby. If you want to add on to those gift cards, you can do that, uh, of course, today or next Sunday. But next Sunday during the service, we'll bless, those, uh, bless them with those. And it's just going to be an incredible opportunity. But I just want to say thank you to all of those that faithfully give to Victory Church. There's so much that we're able to do. I, I, with a lot of pride and excitement, shared about a month ago that we, over three years, have given $100,000 to our local and global community outreach. Isn't that incredible? Come on and give God praise for that. That's incredible. Um, as you know, we were going to do baptism this Sunday, but we had a couple of schedule conflicts, so we'll be rescheduling that for those of you that are interested in water baptism. And last but not least, as you came in, hopefully you were given kind of a brochure. It's a vision brochure because last week, today, and next week, I'm talking a little bit about the vision of our church. Um, so there's some brochure with some information in there, some scriptures, some bullet points. There's also some questions in there to kind of challenge you, but then there's information about all the partners that we partner with through community outreach and global outreach, as well as some next steps. And we're going to talk a little bit about those next steps today. But along with that, you were given something that looks like this. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to hang on to this because I'm going to talk about it at the end of service. And so it's kind of an action plan for today's message. So just hang on to that, hang on to it tight, and I will address it at the end. Um, 
before we did at the movies, we were studying through the book of Acts as a church. So we studied through the book of John. We got to Easter Sunday. We finished John, and then we started the book of Acts, and then we paused the book of Acts for four weeks as we did at the movies. Last week, we continued back in the book of Acts, and what I felt the Lord leading us as a church, and it's just really cool how it played out, is the book of Acts kind of paralleled with the vision of the church. And so Acts 9 uh, really handled what we call grow. So our church is around four Gs, grow, guide, give, and go. And, and that vision of grow has a lot of attributes. It can be a lot of branches from it. For example, obviously we want to grow the church. Obviously we want to grow you and I's knowledge of Jesus Christ and our knowledge of the word. But what we really talked about last week is how we want to grow our urgency to share the gospel. And we just really talked about how we should be passionate about that and the importance of that in you and I sharing the gospel, not just in a church service, but in our daily life. And it was pretty cool. Uh, Zenobia goes to church here. I don't know if you know Zenobia. She's on the First Impression team, so she's probably welcomed you to church before. But she got moved by that message, and she came to us. She said, hey, I got an idea. What if we made these yard signs that have like a text for prayer? And so we can put those in. A lot of people going through a lot of stuff, and, and we can put that in our yards, and people can text to pray. And not only would that be a great connection point, but obviously we'll pray for them, <laughs> and then and God can be able to move in their lives. And so that was such a cool vision. She's working on putting some of those together. So if that's something you'd like uh, to have one of those. We'll tell you about it in a couple weeks. But it's just cool how it's kind of empowering people to say, hey, how can I share the gospel in my daily life? How can I share the gospel tomorrow at work? How can I share the gospel tonight at the restaurant? And so we just really pushed that, and Acts 9 uh, really supported that. Well, we're in Acts 10 today, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts 10. We'll start with verse 1. You can watch it on your phone or your Bible, whatever it is that you want to turn to. But as you're turning there, let me explain. Today, we're going to talk about the second vision point of our church, which is guide. And guide is about guiding us to freedom. There's this concept that when you and I come to church or when you and I have a salvation experience, we're saved. We're, we're a Christ follower. But it doesn't mean that we know how to follow Christ, right? Like, like we're a Christ follower. We want to read our Bible. We're not really, not really sure how to understand it. We want to pray. Not really sure how to pray. Uh, we want to be holy. Not really sure what that means. And so there's the, the second vision point of our church is not just to see people be saved, but to help guide them in a discipling relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to give you a pretty practical message this morning with a very clear and practical next step. All right. So here we go. Acts chapter 10. We're going to start with verse one. I'll read and break it down a little bit. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Cornelius will be important to us today. Cornelius was a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment, and he and all of his family were devout, okay? So Cornelius was a devout and God-fearing man. So he feared God. He was a devout God follower. He gave generously to those in need, so he was generous. He was serving his community, and he prayed to God regularly. So not only was he a giver, not only was he a devout God-fearing man of God, but he prayed all the time. And one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, all right? He, he saw something, and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. We talked last week about the fear of God, more of an awe of God or a respect of God. Cornelius said, what is it, Lord? And the angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. In other words, we've been talking about you in heaven, You've gotten heaven's attention. And he goes on to say, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. 
Peter is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. I want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning from the idea, show me how. Show me how. Last week, we talked about open our eyes, and today is now show me how. Uh, About a month ago or so, Darla and I, my wife and I, got the incredible privilege to go with two of our greatest friends to a restaurant called House of Cards. Have y'all heard about this restaurant? This is a magician-themed restaurant, okay? I love magic. I'm not weird or creepy. It's not like that. But when we were doing kids' ministry, I would get those little Amazon cheap magic tricks and use them to share the gospel. I had this like pot that when you poured it, it'd go empty. And when you turned it back over, it would have more water. And it was like the hope and faith of Jesus Christ. Anyway, you don't care. But, but it was awesome. I loved it. And so I'm into magic, and I like magic, but I always want to know how it works. Like, that's a big deal for me. Like, instead of enjoying it, I will sit back and go, how did he do it? And so we go to this restaurant. We're super excited. It was incredible. The food was great. Um, there's, there's different card tricks happening throughout the restaurant that you can go. But the whole key is, once you've eaten, at the end is a 15-minute magic show. It's just a quick little 15-minute magic show. So we get done eating, and we load up, and we go into the auditorium. It's about 70 people, and we sit down, and this magic show begins. And this guy comes out, and he starts doing magic. And it was fun. Everybody had a great time. But it was, it was real, like, mediocre magic, Okay. And let me explain something to you. My wife is extremely positive about life, okay? Like, if you see my wife, she's probably smiling right now. Like, I don't even know where she is, but she's probably smiling right now. She's just happy. You know, she just always sees the best in life. She's, she's, what is it, optimist. She's all these things. I'm a little bit more critical, okay? So we go into the, the show, and the magic show starts happening, and she is having a blast. She's like, did you see that? Oh, my goodness. And she has a really loud laugh. I don't know if I've ever heard it, but she's like, ah! Like, she's just having a blast. And I'm over here going, this is terrible. This is, I, this is, I know how he did that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm critiquing everything. And it gets to this point where he's making doves appear. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. When he makes that dove appear out of that bag, she's going to lose her mind. Like, to the point to where people are going to look at us crazy. So I leaned over to him. And I was like, hey, just want to prepare you real quick. He's about to pull a dove out that bag. Like, just letting you know. All right, just ruining it for you. But don't freak out. So she's like, how did you know that, right? And then it goes on. And then at one point, I I was following him so well that at one point he's getting this lady in the crowd to pick a card, right? He's gonna gonna get her to pick a card. And I leaned over to Darla and I was like, ace of spades. And she stood up and she said, ace of spades. And Darla's like, oh. And she looks at me and I'm like, I'm a magician. You know what I mean? It's how I roll. Uh, But I told her, I said, look, it's just, I, I just, I've done it before. So I know how to do it. So I was, I was able to just kind of, she's freaking out and amazed like he just made an elephant disappear. And I'm like, this is just it's how it works. This is how it works. Because I knew how it works, I could explain it to her. Now listen, in Acts chapter 10, we're introduced to Cornelius. Cornelius is known as a man who feared God. He's known as a man of prayer. And he's known as a man who's very generous with the resources that God gives him. But he is missing community, and discipleship. What he does not have, he's a man of God. He fears God, which means he's in awe and respect of God. He is a praying man, and he's even a generous man with his money, but he does not have a discipleship community. He does not have anyone to help guide him through this relationship now with Jesus. And, and to take you back culturally for a moment, here's why. In that day and age, the Jewish law 
was that you didn't hang out with Gentiles. Gentile, Gentile meant non-Jew. So it was like, all right, we're the Jewish people. We're God's people. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile, and we don't interact with them. And so even though Cornelius was a man of God, he could not get into the Jewish circles. All right, does that make sense? So even though he was a God-fearing man, even though he was a man of prayer, he had no circle that he was a part of. He could not get into the Jewish circles. So he loved God, and he prayed to God, but he didn't have any guidance on how to live for God. Now, here's the truth. I know a lot of Christians who are prayer warriors. I know a lot of Christians who are fearing of God. I know a lot of, or respectful of God. I know a lot of Christians who are generous, but for some reason, a lot of Christians lack when it comes to a discipleship community. It just, it just is. Like you'll, you'll, you'll listen to people, they go to church often, they pray often, whether it's you know, on the interstate, on the way to work, or whatever it looks like. They, they're generous, they'll give towards charities, and they'll give towards their church. But when it comes to an actual discipleship community, they just they lack. And I, I do think there's a couple reasons. Uh, for example, for some of you, it might have been, or for some of us, it might have been that uh, you know, we tried it once, and, and it wasn't quite what we thought it was going to be. You know, we really felt like uh, there was some community there, but there was nothing godly about it. And so that kind of, you know, turned us off. Or, or maybe we just didn't quite understand what was even the purpose of it. Like we're gathering, but what are we gathering for? Are we just gathering to watch football or to eat nachos or, you know, what, what's the purpose? Or what most people's reasoning is this, and let's be honest, y'all, I just don't have what? The time. I, I, just, I just don't have the time. Darla and I, are, are, we've, we find ourselves in seasons where we're so busy, where it seems like from the moment we wake up to the moment we lay our head down on the pillow, there's something every moment, especially as your kids start getting involved in extracurricular activities. And it's just like, I just don't have time. I'd love it, but I just don't have the time. And what I really want us to understand at first is that if we don't make discipleship community a priority, if we say, hey, I just don't have the time for it, I understand that. But you need to understand that discipleship will happen by default, okay? If we're not proactive about discipleship, it will happen by default. Let's go back to Acts chapter 10. This time we're going to look at verse 25. God has told, Peter, or God has told Cornelius to send for Peter. And it says, as Peter entered the house... Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Oh my goodness, it's Peter. You've walked with Jesus. But Peter made him get up and he said, stand up. I'm only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people, Gentiles. And he said to them, watch this. You are well aware that it is against our law, Jewish law, for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile. He's saying, you understand that the way I was raised it's against the law for me to even be in your presence. However, God is teaching me not to call anyone impure or unclean. Here's what Peter says. Peter's saying, I was discipled by default. This is how I was raised. I was raised up to see our people as one thing and your people as another thing. And I am learning now as I follow Jesus, I'm learning that that's wrong. It's the way I was raised. I was discipled by default. But now that I'm interacting with Jesus, I am learning how to change that. 
Listen to me. The question I have for you this morning is not, do I want to be in a discipleship community? That's not the question. Here's the question. What am I already allowing, or what, what am I already being discipled by? All right, let me break that down. I'm not, I'm not in a place where I'm asking you to say, do I want to be in a discipleship community? Like, is that something that I value? Do I want to be in it? I'm actually going to the other side of it and saying, what are you already being discipled by? Because if we are not proactive, if we are not pursuing persistent discipleship, a community of discipleship, we will be discipled by default. All right, let's just, let me give you some examples. Peter was basically saying, it's how I was raised, right? It's, it's how I was raised. So let's just break that down for a second. Some of us, when it comes to our finances, we're not generous with our finances because we were raised in a home that pinched pennies, right? Or we were raised in a home that was so careless with money that we never had any. Or we were raised in a home that felt entitled to have money and it became a pride thing and now it's ours instead of wanting to share it with other people. We were discipled by default. Some of us were raised in a home where we watched relationships happen and we watched spouses not love each other. We watched spouses not consider one another. And therefore, as we got into relationships, we wonder after the third, fourth, and fifth unsuccessful relationship why we are this way. It's because we were discipled by default. For some of us, when it comes to raising our kids, we're raising our kids the way we saw somebody in our house raise us. See what I mean? So we didn't go out and, and proactively pursue a discipleship committee or community. We were just discipled by default. For some of us, it's not our family. It was our friends. We saw what our friends did, and we did that. For some of us, it's not our family or our friends. It's our culture. But we find ourselves in a place where we're doing something, and why are we doing it? Because we were taught to do it. Well, who taught us to do it? Well, if we are not proactive about who's teaching us to do it, then whatever's around us teaches us what to do. Make sense? I was talking to my father yesterday at dinner. He came in town to see my kids in a play, and we were talking about how he was raised, which was, was not good, and how at some point he decided that was not going to be the way that he raised me. And it was just, he just decided that he was not going to be discipled by default. Matter of fact, he said it was almost the extreme. Like he tried so hard not to be this that it swung over here. And this is what's happening in our culture today is that a lot of us are just discipled by default. We're just doing it because it's the only thing we know how to do. And so we run into a marriage issue. What do we do? Well, we just do what we only know how to do, what we had been taught. There are some people that the last thing you want to do is communicate with your spouse. Why? Because you were taught when something happens, run away from it, right? We were discipled by default. Until we are purposely positioning ourselves in a community that helps disciple us towards living for Christ, we will always copy culture and what's around us. I was talking with a friend of mine we were, have, we were meeting for discipleship, and he was talking to me about TikTok. And I, I, don't, I don't have TikTok. I'm not really familiar with it. But from what I understand, it's, it's a video app that has music and different things like that attached to it. And he was telling me something about that I didn't know. He said, when you first get the TikTok app, when you first get on TikTok, it already has this library of videos downloaded for you 
or, or sent to you, whatever, however it works. And, and most of the time, they're inappropriate videos. But it, it's culturally decided. Like, like you, if you right now went and got the app, it would like feed you these videos. And he was kind of describing some of the videos to me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like that's horrible. And he said, but it has nothing to do with him. It just picks those videos in advance. And here's what was interesting. He said, it's not until you start liking or, or deleting or disliking, I don't know how the program works, but let's just say disliking. It's not until you start liking or disliking videos that it starts to shape the videos that it wants to send to you. Does that make sense? So it's just giving you these culturally relevant videos that are terrible until you start liking, oh, I like this football video. Oh, I like this comedy video. Ooh, I don't like that. Oh, I don't like that. And the algorithm starts to shape what you've liked and what you've disliked, and it narrows down the feed that you're getting. Godly and healthy discipleship communities are vital to our lives. And here's why. Listen to me. God will use authentic relationships with other believers as the means by which we like or dislike or delete things, shaping us to be like Christ. When you have a discipleship community, you learn a little bit about marriage and you start going, ooh, I like that. Ooh, I don't like that. Ooh, I like that. I don't like that. When you have a discipleship community, you start learning about parenting. You learn that your kids are just as bad as everybody else's kids. You know what I mean? And you're like, I like that. Sorry, baby. I like that. I dislike that. I like that. I dislike that. You start to learn about financial things. You start to learn about spiritual things. And you dislike and you like and you dislike and you like. And you start to really shape yourself to a point where you are Christ-like. But if you have no system by which you are choosing the intake of your soul, then you are only receiving what culture gives you. Am I right? The only videos coming your way is what culture's doing. The only intelligence you have towards marriage is what culture's doing. The only intelligence you have towards children is what culture's doing. What I love about my wife, it's, it's on the top 100 list. When it comes to parenting my kids, she never does what culture's doing. She always talks to Christian friends and believers and learns what people who have older kids, her best friend, different things, and she starts to learn what they did, and she narrows down what we will do. And what God is trying to tell Cornelius is this. If you're not careful, you're all over the place, and you mean well. You have great intentions, but you have no system by which you are critiquing and developing and, and, and strategizing and sizing down your actual life to where your culture is just telling you what to do. And this is what discipleship community is all about, is being able to get with people who are believers like you and learn how we can shape and move and adjust things so that we can continue to be Christ-like. When Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, in his first letter, it's titled 1 Corinthians in your Bible. He's writing a, a letter to the church in Corinth. He starts it off in chapter 11. You know, later on, we, we put it in a chapter so that you and I could read it easier, find it better. But he said in chapter 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me, just as I also am an imitator of Christ. So here's what he was saying. Copy me as long as I copy Christ. What Paul's saying is we are all natural 
copiers. I know that you were raised or you're even trying to raise your kid now with that mindset of be an original, be you. But I'll be honest with you, we all copy stuff, right? There's no, nothing new. Right now, all the, the clothes that people are wearing, it was popular in like the 70s, right? Like nothing's new. We copy, we will always copy. But Paul says, be mindful of what you're copying. Copy me as long as I copy Christ. But the second that I no longer copy Christ, stop copying me. He's laying out this principle of, of a discipleship community. Hey, let's all come in together and sharpen one another and copy one another as long as we're copying Christ. And if I don't know how to do my finances right, I'll copy you because you do them in the faith of God and it's awesome. And if you don't know how to talk to your kid, copy me because you've seen me have a Christ-like conversation with my kid. And we can copy one another as long as we are copying Christ. Just to prove to you that I know what I'm talking about for a moment, think about this past week. What did you copy? What did you copy? What did you copy of culture? What did you copy of your friends? What did you copy of your family? And maybe it was good. Maybe it's bad. I don't know. But my point is that we're making copies. And Paul says, copy me. I'll never forget this. I was, so, so let, me, let me tell you the story real quick. Some of you have heard this story. Um, I got to a point where I wanted to delete Instagram from my phone. Uh, two reasons for that. Number one is I found myself often in the gutter of comparison. You know, I would get on Instagram and be like, man, she made that for dinner and I'm eating a hot dog. You know what I mean? Like I was always comparison. Uh, I don't eat hot dogs. But anyway, you know, it was definitely church comparison, all these different things. So that was one thing. And then I also learned that it, it's, it has very easy access to inappropriate content. You know what I mean? Like I could get to it quickly and there's no accountability and those kind of things. And so I just, through my prayer time, I felt like the Lord was telling me to delete the app because I'm not the kind of person that's gonna go get my iPad and log into Instagram.com. I'm not doing all that. But when it's on your phone and all it is is a thumb push away, it's really easy to get to. And so I'd already decided, I hadn't told my wife yet, I'd already decided I was gonna delete it. And I was hanging out with a pastor and I was telling him this. We were talking and I was just telling him this. And I remember he, he, he was more, he's further along than me, bigger church. And I remember him saying to me, uh, but don't forget Instagram is vital for ministry. And I was like, vital for ministry? In what way? And he's like, you know, people get to see, you get to promote it. You're getting all, you know, you're telling people about your church. Like you need it. All pastors have Instagram. I remember him saying that. And I thought, you know, he's right. Like, I need, to, I need to have it so God can grow the church, you know? We're so stupid. And so I get up from, from the thing, and I'm like, okay, you're right. I'm, and the next morning, I go into prayer, and I mean, louder than ever, the Lord's like, get rid of it, get rid of it. So I came up with this great idea. I went to Darla, and I explained to her what was going on. I said, I want to get rid of it. I said, but I have an idea. I said, I'm going to put it on your phone. I'm going to put my login to Instagram on your phone. So for me to get onto Instagram, I have to come get your phone and I can still post about the church and all that, but it's not as easy right here in my hand. And she said, okay, babe. So she set the whole thing up. About eight, nine, 10 days go by. I never even went to her one time. I walked in the room. I said, hey, do me a favor. She said, well, I said, delete the Instagram. And she was like, you don't need it? I said, babe, I haven't even looked at it. I haven't even posted one thing in 10 days. It's clear to me now that God doesn't need Instagram to grow this church. Right, right? I mean, it's just fact. And so I'm just at this point where I'm like, who am I copying? Am I, am I copying Paul as he copies Christ? Or am I copying culture? And am I more concerned about my family being healthy? Or am I more concerned about having likes? 
You know what I mean? There, there's a moment for us as Christians where we have to decide salvation is one thing. Listen to me. Just because you got saved doesn't automatically make you family-oriented. Just because you got saved doesn't automatically make you spiritually deep. Just because you got saved doesn't make you financial, financially stable. Salvation is immediate. Sanctification is a process. So when you got saved, you got saved. You're going to heaven. You're going to heaven because Jesus Christ died on a cross, has nothing to do with you. All you do is believe in Jesus. That's heaven. But living Christ-like on earth actually takes guidance. We need guidance, and we need to copy those who are copying Christ. Now, nobody's perfect. The Bible says that every man will fail you eventually. I'm not telling you to copy that person, but you are copying Christ-like things. You're surrounding yourself with a discipleship community that helps guide you as you do this walk for Christ. And I'm just fired up about it, and it's why I have been passionate about Surrounding myself with people that I can copy. Putting systems in my life where at the end of the day, I look at my family and I look at my finances and I look at my friends and I say, we're healthy because I am copying those who are copying Christ. But the truth is that a lot of us don't have that. We don't, we don't have that community. And I want you to understand that not only will discipleship happen by default, but discipleship is the answer to all of your prayers. Now, let me explain. Okay, before you go, oh, that's a little bit much for me. Let me explain. Let's go back to Acts chapter 10. Now, verse 30. So again, Cornelius is praying. God hears him. He says, I got what you need. You need to go send for Peter. Peter comes. Peter has this issue where he says, man, I've been discipled by default, but Jesus is working on me, and Cornelius sees it, and there's this incredible opportunity for Cornelius, Gentile, and Peter, Jew, to become friends, and there's process and miracles happening here, all because they didn't just let culture decide what they would do, but they stood up and said, I'm going to let Christ decide what we do. Listen, this is one of the strongest uh, evidences of racism in the Bible. Strong. But neither man let culture decide what they would do. Each man said, we'll copy Christ, right? We'll copy Christ. So now let's go to verse 30. Watch this. Three days ago, I was in my house praying. This is Cornelius talking. At this hour, at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer, and he's remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. And then here's my favorite verse. So he sent for him what? immediately. This angel shows up, representation of God, and here's what he says to Cornelius. He says, God has heard all of your prayers. He's heard all of your prayers, and he's going to answer them through biblical community. Sin for Peter, because Peter will come and help explain more about Christ Peter will come and help you understand more about the resurrection and the death of Jesus and the salvation of Jesus. He'll be able to help you walk your faith as you follow Jesus. Go sin for Peter. And what I love about Cornelius is it says, and it's in the Bible for this reason, he did it what? Immediately. What you don't see is Cornelius going, well, here's the deal. It's 11 o'clock now. I don't know that I got this case. Maybe, maybe, three, maybe Thursday I'll talk to him. It doesn't happen that way. He says, I need it. So I send for him immediately. God's saying the answer to your prayer is in community, discipleship community. And Cornelius says, yes, let's do it right now. Let's go right, let's do it right now. 
Surrounding ourselves with the right people is one of the most important steps in our spiritual journey. And we cannot afford to drag our feet on that. Did you hear me? Surrounding yourselves with the right people. And I know enough of you personally to know you believe this. Surrounding yourself with the right people is the, probably to me, the most important, but it's certainly one of the most important steps in our spiritual journey. And I had this thought. We all need a safe place to find freedom, but instead we're settling for a safe place to hide. Right? Everybody in this room right now has something that you're going through that you wish somebody would pray for. Everybody in this room has something that you're going through that you would love to have a conversation with somebody about, somebody you could trust. But instead of going out and finding a safe place to be able to find freedom and find help, we're all finding safe places to hide. And we give this you know, generic, I'm okay, you're okay, I'm okay. And we hide what we're going through. And watch this. And then we go to church every week, and but nothing's changing, and there's no real impact on our lives. And then we eventually give up on church or give up on Jesus because nothing's changed. And the entire time, God's saying, I heard your prayers. I heard your prayers. But the answer is this. The answer is biblical community with other believers who can gather hands with you and pray, who can text you through the week and go, hey, how's that job interview go? Hey, how's that going? Who can help you meet a need? Who can build up your faith and your courage and set you on a place where you're actually feeling like, man, I'm, I'm in this with other people. Think about it like this. If you've been praying for a better understanding of God, the answer is in a discipleship community. Because the Bible says that iron sharpens iron. So as you hang out with people and you discuss the word, the, the word of God comes to life. If you've been praying for how to pray, the answer to that prayer is in a discipleship community. Because who else are you going to pray with? It's a pro if you're trying to figure out how to walk in your purpose, if you've been praying for healing, listen, if you've been praying for your marriage, if you've been praying for your kids, if you've been praying for your finances, the answer to that is in discipleship community. You go, Troy, you've lost your mind. There's no way. Can I, let me just tell you a story that happened to me that, that I feel like is the best parallel for this concept. When I was 17, I think it is, I got saved. I always changed. I never know how old I was. It, was. it was a long time ago. But I got saved and I started going to the youth group of our church in Memphis. And the youth pastor really took a liking to me. His name was Jason. And he would really kind of take me under his wing and, and let me have opportunities. And so he invited me to this thing they were doing in the summer called Summer Survivor. And what we were doing is we were going to a lake and there'd be like a time of worship and discipleship. And then we'd spend some time on the lake tubing and different things like that. I had never been to a lake in my life. You know, I'm, I'm from the hood. I, I was raised in Memphis. So we didn't, you didn't go to the lake unless you were, you know, never mind, uh, hiding a dead body or something. I don't you know. Uh, and so, so that was new to me. I played basketball. I'd never been on a lake. We couldn't afford boats. You know what I mean? Going to a lake, I'm not going to fish. I can go to Kroger and get it for like three bucks. What am I going to fish for? And, and so I get, I get invited to this, this experience, and we go to the camp, and it's a great, great time. Of, and then we go, and we get on the lake. And one of the volunteers has a boat, and the whole deal is we're going to go tubing. Y'all know what tubing is? Tubing, you get this in like a, in, what is it called? Like a, 
a tube, <laughs> and, uh, and, and you tie it to the back of the boat, and then the boat goes, and the guy lets you go over the, the wake, and it's real fun, all this kind of stuff. So we, we all get in the boat, a bunch of young guys, and, and all my friends are getting on it, and they're just having a blast. And the youth pastor, Jason, is, is trying his best to knock them off, so they're catching all this air, you know what I mean? It's awesome. And I'm sitting in the back of the boat, scared to death, because I've never done this before. And so I'm, I'm a little embarrassed. And so it comes time for me to get on it, and I look over at my buddy, his name was Laverne, and I'm like, hey, real quick, uh, how do I do this? And he said, I'll tell you how to do it. He said, when the, the tube starts to lean to the left, he said, lean all of your body to the left. I was like, y'all know where this is going. So I was like, okay. And he goes, then, then if the tube starts to go right, lean all your body weight to the right. And so I was like, okay. So I jump off the boat, swim to the tube. Have y'all ever, anybody ever been tubing, right? The worst part of it is getting on the tube, right? You got to pull yourself up like, like you have upper body strength and get yourself up on the tube. And you, you know, you're exhausted. So you're laying there like a seal and you're like, thumbs up, let's go. And so he goes, and it starts picking up speed, and I hit the first wake, and I feel it start to lean to the left, and I lean to the left, and I flip and then fall off into the water. And so I come bobbing out of the water, you know, with my life jacket on, and the youth pastor, Jason, he turns the boat back around, he puts the tube back in front of me, and I'm like, oh. I reach back up, and the tube, pull myself back up again, and I'm like, oh, oh. and he goes again, and he goes, and it starts going to the right, and I lean my body to the right, and I flip like this again, and I'm off the tube again. This happened about seven or eight times, okay? I am exhausted. I am the, the joke on the boat, you know what I mean? Like, I couldn't last for any time whatsoever. And they finally get me into the boat, and, I, and I'm sitting down, and Laverne's there, and he's like, oh, man, thought you had it. And I'm like, I didn't know at the time, but I was like, I'll kill you. And so we're sitting there, and there was a volunteer there by the name of Shane. He had taken off the entire week to come and do this volunteer-wise. He just wanted, he just believed in, in God and these boys, and he was pouring his life into them. And he comes and he sits by me in the back of the boat. And he goes, hey man, how you doing? And I was like, I'm exhausted. And he said, let me ask you a question. He said, have you ever tubed before? And I said, no, is it, is it obvious? And he said, does anybody tell you how to do it? I said, yeah, you know, my friends did. He said, what'd they tell you? I said, well, they told me that when the tube starts to lean left, to lean on my body weight left. And he kind of, you know, made one of those facial expressions. He goes, listen, do the opposite. He said, go do it again. He said, but this time, when the, when the inflatable starts to lean to the left, he said, put all of your body weight on the right. And he said, then when it starts to shoot back over and you start to feel the tube kind of leaning to the right, put all of your body weight on the left. So as he's telling me this, I look up and Laverne's over there giggling, you know, at the front of I'm like, ah, mm. So I go up to Pastor Jason and I'm like, hey, can I do it again? And he, you could just tell he was like, Sure. And so he puts the tube out. I jump out. I get on the tube, exhausted still. And he goes and he hits it. And I mean, I am having a ball. We're hitting these ways to the point, And this was the, the best part for me, even though it hurt, is that the youth pastor got to the place where he was like, I got to get him off this tube. You know what I mean? Like he didn't want to be showed up. So at one point he was making me hit waves that were throwing me up in the air. But it was so cool because I stayed on the tube. And here's why that's important. It's because when it came time to hit these waves of life, it was knocking me off every time, immediately. But it's because I didn't know how to do it. And so when somebody volunteered their time to say, hey, this is how you do it, then the next time I was hitting those same waves, I was able to stay on. I believe this is what God had intended for us. I said, hey, you're gonna hit some waves. But if you put some people in your life that will help you know how to do it, 
then when you hit the wave, instead of falling off, you'll be able to ride the wave. It'll still be bumpy, but you'll survive it. But you've got to have a community around you that says, hey, hey, you, you ever been married before? Hey, hey, you ever, you ever had a kid before? Hey, hey, have you ever lost your job before? No? Okay. Well, well, how do you think you're supposed to do it? Well, I think that when me and my wife fight, I should get my car keys and leave. No, that's not how you should do it. Let me help you how to do it. Well, what do you think you should do about your finances? Well, I think that now that I lost my job, I should get a credit card and get a better car because people hire people with nice cars. No, that's not how you should do it. You know, how, how do you think you read the Bible? Well, I start in Revelation. No, 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 no. Nah. How you do it? You know what I mean? It's just important. This is so important for us. And this is what I mean by if you're praying for something, the answer is probably in a discipleship community. Amen? I think that's the venue where we find relationship. It's where we experience discipleship, and it's where we receive pastoral care. Every person who attends church desires pastoral care. And that is my job, and I try to be good at my job. But at some point, I won't be able to be everything to every person. And there's something very healthy about discipleship community to where you find people who are your spiritual rocks. They are your support. A pastor mentor of mine told the story, and I'll close, where a member of his church family passed away, and he was out of town, and he did all he could to rush and get back. He arrived at the house. He rushed up to the house thinking, I got to hurry up and get there. You know, he knew the wife would be distraught. And he's like, I got to hurry up and get there. He said, when I walked in, there were all these people in the house and there was food. And he said, the, the, the wife almost looked at me like, why are you here? And he said, I loved it. He said, because what had happened was her small group, her, her community had already been contacted and, and met with her and was there with her and, and comforting her and counseling her. And I just think that's the pattern that God, if you look throughout the scriptures, that God intended was for each of us to, to gather together like this, to glorify God and to see people saved, but then to gather in smaller ways for discipleship, for prayer, for community, and for care. And so I say all that to then tell you this. When you walked in, you were handed this card we are trying our best to figure out what this is going to look like for our church. And one of the things that I am very excited about that I feel like God has called us to do is a particular curriculum called Rooted. Uh, Rooted is a curriculum that is certainly about discipleship, but it also deals with how to pray. It also deals with community service projects. It's just a powerful, powerful thing. And I think it's important for us to provide. If I'm going to sit up here and preach to you that this is important, I've got to provide you the opportunity to do it. Now, whether or not you do it is on you, but I've got to be responsible for providing the opportunity. And so what we're doing is we're, we're working on and planning something that would launch the second week in October. It's 10 weeks long, but we're going to offer it three nights a week. 
So you can go either on a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, or a Thursday night. Either one of those nights, you can go to it. If you can't go Tuesday night, Wednesday night, or Thursday night, then I don't know that we can offer it for you. Maybe we'll try, but I don't know that this is the season. But I think if you're hungry for it and you want it, you'll make it happen. And so what you have in your hand is just a card letting us know about your interest. This is not guaranteeing that you're gonna do anything. It's not you signing up. What it does is it gives us your name and it gives you the best night that you can attend. And then we will contact you and be able to give you details, times, information, locations, and talk through if this is actually going to work. I believe that any person who commits to Darla and I are going through it as well. The, the vision for me is to have our whole church go through this together. Then it births more of these community groups for the future. But in a day and age like we're in right now, where you're processing so many different things, you need more than just an hour-long service where you come in and hear a message and a little bit of worship. You need a community to do life with. And I really want to encourage you to take that step out and do that. I really want you to ask yourself, who am I being discipled by now? And how can I be proactively pursuing godly discipleship and community? And if your first thought is, I just don't have the time, I understand, neither do I. But you always make time for what's important to you. Am I right? So if this is what you're looking for, I think this is the answer to it. So I'm going to pray, and they're going to lead us in a song. Worship team, you can go ahead and come up. And I want to give you that time to respond. Give you that time to lean over and talk to your spouse or your family. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to fill out this card if you'd like to do it. And then when you leave, either put it in the offering basket or hand it to the Welcome Center. If you don't have a pen, you need a pen, you can go after church to the Welcome Center, get a pen, fill it out right there, and hand it to her. We're going to be offering this over the next three weeks for people to sign up so that then we can figure out who's involved and start planning all of the actual details. But I'm excited about it. I think it's important for us. I think it's what we need. I think it's what you need. And as your pastor, I'm telling you, you need to talk about making this a priority. I think it'll change your life. I think once you commit to it and once it's over, I think you'll be so excited about it that you'll be the best promotion for this kind of community discipleship than I could ever be. I think it'll be life-changing. I think it'll be an answer to a lot of your prayers. So I'll pray, and then when I'm done and as the worship, I encourage you to talk, pray about, and then respond by filling out these cards. Father, we thank you right now for your faithfulness in this place, for your provision. Lord, for your word that is alive, that even thousands of years ago, Cornelius needed what we need today. Yes, he was on fire for you. Yes, he was praying. Yes, he was generous. But where would he find community? And Father, you heard his prayer. I think there's somebody in here today who was just praying for community, asking God, I really, I really need some community. And this is you saying, God, this is you saying to them, I heard your prayer. Now, our response has to be like Cornelius's. It has to be immediate. 
Father, when you sent Peter to Cornelius, he was able to shape him and show him how to live for you. And then, Father, he was that same thing for Peter. They begin to sharpen one another. And that's what we need, Father, is we need a group of people that not only are they sharpening us, but we're able to sharpen them. And so I just pray right now for your Holy Spirit to move in this place. I don't know that I could ever communicate it well enough. I don't know that I could ever communicate the urgency. I don't know that I could ever communicate the importance. But I know that your Holy Spirit can. And so right now, just start to speak to hearts. That this is the answer to the prayer that they've been praying. This is the answer to their marriage. This is the answer to their parenting. This is the answer to their spiritual depth. This is the answer to their financial. This is the answer. Biblical community. Discipleship. I thank you, Father, that we're, we're not just left to take the gospel and then go live life on our own, but you literally lay out the steps before us. So thank you. Thank you for your word that's alive. Thank you for every person that makes up this church. And thank you for what you're going to do in the life of those that commit to discipleship. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said.